This is the NBC Television Network. Attention, please. Eastern Airlines Flight 19, now ready for departure. Welcome aboard the Walt Disney World Express Monorail. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we're entering the vacation kingdom of the world. There's enough land here to hold all of the ideas and plans we could possibly imagine. We call it Epcot. Will be our experimental prototype city of tomorrow. Welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast, taking you back to the vacation kingdom of the world, the way it was, and the way it is in your memories. All right, welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast. This is episode 35, Christmas Around the World Part 2. If you remember, we did part one back in 2015. And uh, I am your host, Todd McCartney, and we'll be taking you back to all sorts of wonderful Christmas things that happened at Walt Disney World in the 70s and 80s. And uh, we're also going to talk about the 1978 Christmas special, uh, Christmas at Walt Disney World. But before we get to that, let's introduce the team as always. Sitting in tonight with his temporary office is Mr. Hal Bowers. It's He's surrounded by boxes, and I believe I, those... Oh, he's knocking things over. There we go. <laughs> those are not IKEA hex keys that you're working with there. This looks more of a professional office setup that we were working on. Yes, this month's podcast is sponsored by Jarvis Standing Jarvis. Desks. Oh. Jarvis, when you only want to stand for the very best. I don't know. Well, Mele Kalikimaka, I'm ready for the uh, for the Christmas episode. Excellent. Welcome back, Hal, as always. Mr. JT, coming from the Rubber City area of the world. How are you doing, my friend? Doing good. Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy New Year. Yes, um, to you. Yeah, it's it's December almost. We're, we're getting in the yeah. spirit. Your trees are up, lights around the house, and no snow yet. No, no, it's getting cold, but we're get, we're getting ready for it. And then we go out to Pennsylvania, where the tree has been erected. We've got decorations going up. They've been actually, Brian, you've been working on this for a while, but Mr. Brian P. Miles from Pennsylvania. Ho, ho, ho! From the winter wonderland that is my residence, uh, just outside the city of brotherly love. There we are. Season's greetings, everyone. That's right. So hopefully, uh, you're listening snuggled into your beds or your homes with a warm cup of tea well then in the case oh, of cocoa a santa coke maybe. i mean yeah we we oh. still have iced we still have iced coffee yeah yeah iced here. coffee and iced tea that's totally fine too so todd is referring to the periodic updates that i've shared with the with uh, our podcast fellows here of the ma- massive santa claus collection that goes up throughout my house uh, during the season that i've been collecting for 20 plus years all vintage most of them do something you wind them up you plug them in you so it's uh i like to show it off it it takes him six months to put it up and six months to take it down <laughs> it's, it's always christmas it takes, <laughs> it, take, it takes a couple weeks to put it up so it goes up in early november and it doesn't come down until after the new year there it's, you go bringing taking it down is a lot faster than putting it up <laughs> All right, well, before we move on to our main topics, uh, we like to do some comments and corrections. And we've, uh, last month, guys, we had a great episode on Dream Flight. We, we, we went back to, uh, there over in Tomorrowland. 
And uh, we got a, a neat little uh, story here from Brian Krawski. Um, he says he had a funny thing happen on Dreamflight back in 1991 when he was on his honeymoon. Um, the cloud effect crossed the ceiling towards the end of the ride. I'm, I'm trying to think where this was. Was this how was this after the speed tunnel or was this? I think he must be thinking of it was like a fog machine. Oh, hmm. Maybe maybe it was in the rotating, you know, in in, in the engine scene. But anyway, he says after going through that area, the ride paused, and uh, he says apparently the the McFarkles were behind us, and Mama McFarkle panicked, gathers her youngins, and jumped off the ride, and she runs past them and says, uh, "You might want to get out of here. The ride's on fire right behind you." <laughs> And off they go. Uh, and they, they sit there chuckling. And, and apparently a cast member came up and had said, did you see a family run by anywhere? And they pointed and, and all that. So kind of a funny It had to be story. in the light tunnel then because that was yeah. the only place where they had heavy fog. Yeah, exactly. exactly. You might want to get out of here. The whole ride's on fire. <laughs> Behind you. Yeah. That reminds me of the time I was at the unload for the Mexico boat ride. And as you know, you have the usually those boats back up by three, four, five boats deep as they offload people and then move the boats up and unload people. So you sit in them for a minute or so at the end, just like on pirates and small world and the, the land that there's usually a little bit of a delay. So we're there and the delay was, I think they were either loading on or off uh, a disabled uh, guest. And so we were backed up a little longer and we're sitting there and they're waiting for the boats to move on. And there was this, I'm guessing they were Scandinavian uh, based on the accents and the they didn't speak English and the, the language I was hearing is I think that's what I was hearing. But the gentleman in the boat in front of me uh, had decided he had gotten tired of waiting and he exited, but he exited on the left side, which is not where the unload is. Oh, the left no. side is just where the little cat. And so he got off and he's crouched down because the whole ceiling's about <laughs> three, three and a half, four feet high there. Just pinned. And at a certain point, his his companions coaxed him back into the boat that this was not the way out. Uh, but it was a bizarre 20 seconds that, that <laughs> I witnessed this. And sometimes you see fascinating things at Walt Disney World. That's right. Well, thanks, Brian for uh, Gakowski, for writing in for the uh, Dream Flight Fire. Last month, how we we talked about uh, the air terminal that's on Disney property, and uh, Kevin Lively and a few others wrote in. It's the the Grand Central Air Terminal, and this is a really neat little fun fact. It was also the bus depot in Pee Wee's Big Adventure when he goes down to Texas. I love how cool that. is that? And, yeah, and Kevin sent a picture of it when he tweeted it to us, and I think what's funny is. Uh, from from the research that I did, I think by the by the 80s when they would have shot that, it probably would have been fairly dilapidated because mm. um, they ended up having to redo it, I think, in the 90s. And they spent, I don't know, millions of dollars to renovate that. So what I'm picturing is like just in the one section that they actually showed in the movie, like it was probably painted and finished and like restored. And then everything around it was probably just peeling and just like crap. But that one little section that actually needed to be in the film. Right. Was like repainted and polished up and, and looked gorgeous. So if you, so, yeah, that was really cool. So if you ever went on dream flights, I've seen this before. There, there it is. Not only in LA, but it was also in a movie and, and, and just a, a public service announcement. Remember kids. Aren't we going to see the basement? <laughs> basement at the Alamo. <laughs> That's really Jan Hook's uh, greatest role. 
All right, and and how when we met Tony Baxter a couple months ago, you asked him a question that had been burning in your mind for a while, and you finally got to ask him at the last minute. You said, "Oh, oh, oh, I have a question," and this goes back to our twenty thousand leagues episode. Yes, this this is a thing that has been every time I, I've managed to see Tony Baxter probably like four or five times somehow or another out of different events. And I keep thinking, like, I know that there's something I want to ask this guy, but I can't think of what it is, so I'm not going to bother him until I actually can think of what it was. <laughs> and then finally, when we were at Epcot 35, I was like, that's right, I wanted to ask about 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Because one of the questions that we talked about in the, on that episode that I'd had for the longest time is, like, there's a spot in the movie, or I'm sorry, there's a spot in the attraction where Captain Nemo says, Mr. Baxter. If you think you're seeing sea serpents and mermaids, you've been submerged too long. And I wondered, was that a reference to Tony Baxter? So I, I did manage to, right before the fireworks went crazy and we all got like bombarded <laughs> by shells, it's like I was able to stop and ask him about that. And he said, uh, yes, uh, that was actually done uh, as a tribute to him. And he uh, very humbly said that he was he was actually quite against that because there were a lot of people that he felt that worked on that attraction that deserved much more recognition than he did. Um, so when that happened, he wasn't thrilled about it. But uh, case closed, you yep. know, mystery solved. It's like that Mr. Baxter actually is a reference to him. There we go. And if you want to go back and listen to us talk about that episode, it is episode 26 entitled Tiny Bubbles. So you can go back and take a look at that one. Uh, and we have one more correction that goes along with tonight's episode. Uh, Brian, you've got a uh, Christmas correction from two years ago. Yes. So in preparation for this episode, one of the things I did was re-listen to our episode from two years ago, uh, our first Christmas-related episode. And in it, I shared uh, what I thought was correct at the time, which was that the railroad in Germany... Uh, in Epcot's World Showcase that that railroad was originally a Christmas edition and that it was so popular that they kept it uh, year-round. Somewhere subsequent, I know in the last two years, I have read that it was actually a, a um, flower and garden festival uh, edition, that it was a garden railroad uh, that was added during the garden festival at Epcot and became popular and they kept it year round. So the latest information we have is that it was not Christmas related and we like to try to get things right, even if it's two years later. Excellent. Thank you for the update there. So with that, let's uh, close out comments and corrections. JT, we'll send you out to the mailbag and uh, got a couple this month coming in, right? Yes, we do actually. Uh, first one is from our friend Reese. She says, Hello, I've been looking around online recently in the universe of energy, and I came across a couple pictures where the sides of the pavilion uh, have different colored stripes than usual, and also have a few dinosaur topiary pieces. Um, is there anybody, any reason why that was done? Does anybody know? Was that just design? Was that like trying to keep it fresh over the years? What do you guys got on that? The, the dinosaur topiaries were out there during the period of time where the refurb was being done to add Ellen. And they lived out there at least through latter parts of the 90s, I know. I, I can't speak to how long they were there, but I know they were there in the mid-90s because we got several photographs uh, when we did our Universe of Energy episode uh, from people with pictures of them in front of those topiaries and we had a discussion about them. So we were able to date them to kind of the mid-90s. 
Um, I, I do know it. I, I can't pinpoint the exact time that they added those multicolored panels to the, to the alternating colors, but it was, I, I thought it was around the same time as Ellen as they were. Yeah. I'm, I believe that's yeah, true. Also, that they, it was done just as a way to kind of externally refresh the, the pavilion. So it looked like, you know, something was different. Yeah. I, I think that's one of the interesting problems that the Epcot pavilions face is like, unless you do something to the outside of the pavilion, there's no cue that lets you know that like something has actually changed on the inside. So when they read, you know, when they redid journey into imagination, it's like they actually repainted the outside of the building, I think as like a little bit of a, Hey, look, there's something going on in here. Um, I think it's funny uh, with mission space. It's like they added that green thing and they added it a little bit to the sign outside. But really, if you just walked by, I think the casual tourists would not ever think like, oh, there's something new in there or there's something different. Well, right. Even even at the land a few years ago, it became the, the sign out front became the land and under it featuring Soren. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. Yeah, I mean, they yeah. they had those uh, when they opened up Soren, they put those like sandwich boards outside that said Soren was yeah. inside the land. Because otherwise, you know, it's I, I don't know if people, you know, when when we went, it's like they had very thick guidebooks and, you know, we had the spinner thing from Epic and there were at least two two paragraphs about every attraction and what was inside and today you just get like a little map with a couple of names on it no real indication of what's inside those buildings so you know i think they have to do a little bit more work now to try to draw people in with uh with what's uh with some stuff on the outside of the the places too all right so just long story short attention grabbing <laughs> that's one way to look at it Thanks a lot, Reese, for writing in. And and for those of you listening, uh, re- we released a, a uh, animated short uh, just a few uh, last week. If you're listening to this in, in December, uh, entitled "If Epcot Could Talk," that Reese put together. She uh, self-directed, drew all the animation cells, put it all together, did all the audio, and it's a fantastic, witty look at if uh, the history of the Epcot pavilions and if they could talk to each other. And uh, uh, I know you guys all watched it, so if you if you check it out it's it's uh, there's a link right on our our main website so it's really really done well very talented i agree good job reese thanks for the question yes and and merry christmas reese to our youngest and biggest fans right yes merry christmas all right next one i have two more and brian i'm saving the good one for you that you're going to enjoy at the end here uh the second one this is from rob he says any idea about the name of or longevity of the show that featured the hot air balloon and possibly powered gliders i assume it was a precursor to the electric water pageant show on the seven seas lagoon and bay lake i've never seen anything like it before now i could be wrong but is he referring to the epcot show or was there power gliders so in a hot air I bl- I believe what he is referring to is what we saw in the opening specials of Walt Disney World, which was uh, on the, the day that they did the dedication for the Polynesian, they put on a luau, and then after that they did the very first showing of the electrical water pageant. And as part of that, like, remember, how, you know how the, the water pageant ends with, like, the American flags and the stars and stripes and all yes. that stuff? They had these extra balloons and gliders, and they shot off all kinds of crazy fireworks, like at the end of the water pageant that tied in with that. Because originally, I've been told that the water pageant was supposed to just run for that one night, just for that event. But it was so popular that they ended up keeping it uh, for much longer. So that little bit of footage we saw was like a one-time thing. And I think possibly, Brian, I think we read that uh, 
that sort of extra add-on to the water pageant could have been purchased by corporations doing events uh, at the parks early on. Yeah, we t- we talked about that when we and I, I. It's terrible. I always forget the guy's name that we had on that talked about the history of the electrical water pageant. But uh, when we had him on one of our earlier episodes, uh, we talked about the different corporate uses of it, and you could book stuff, and it was uh, it's got a fascinating history. Okay, well, thank you so much, Rob for your question hopefully we uh cleared up a memory for you there all right so brian this is in your wheel well uh the year is 1996 pink castles and everything else is going on at that time right yes uh this is from wayne now wayne i'm gonna let you know here if we would have recorded on our originally scheduled night this wouldn't have made the podcast so you this is a christmas miracle for you um, Wayne, you're a late entry. Yeah, yes. thanks for de- thanks for delaying. Hallo, the the Tampa office yeah, had that is, technical difficulty. Anytime, furniture Anytime. problems. It's all clicking in for Wayne here. All right, so Brian, if you can think of like a merchandise opportunity from that era with the 25th anniversary, like big time corporate tie-ins that you could get at home, do you remember any of them, or do you own any of them? Corporate tie-ins? Yeah, like, you know, stuff, something you'd buy at a restaurant I mean, or a store. I'm just trying to pick in your brain here, seeing if you remember. Not, nothing okay. immediately comes. I mean, there were McDonald's things. That's, there was Coca-Cola stuff. McDonald's there was, had the glasses. Wayne brings those up. But yes. he, then he brings up, uh, he saw that the, the stores were having, like supermarkets, uh, Nestle chocolate chip cookie tins. Now, yes. he said on the commercial, he saw that one in 100 had a special magnet on them inside of them inside the package you didn't know which one you were getting you know if it had the magnet if it didn't something like that i didn't know about this so this is like a precursor when, to to uh, uh vinyl mation and the, the wrapped pins right you don't know yeah. what you're gonna get well in this case you might not even get anything it was a neat tin in itself it had like the you know different uh parks and things on it but so wayne runs to the stores his local supermarket who knows how many they had there but he, he needed this magnet so you think he went and buys them all. No, what he does is he takes them all, loads them in a shopping cart, and then heads immediately to, not the checkout, the produce section. He goes to the produce section, which I thought this was very ingenious, and this, starts this weighing the Nestle chocolate chip cookie tins. Seeing That's fascinating. if there is a difference, trying to find the magnet. Brilliant. So, so sure as anything, he finally fine. He said he got some looks. Obviously, he said, but it was worth it because the magnet tins were just a little heavier. And he sent us some pictures of the tin he bought with the magnet. And I'm, he doesn't clarify if he bought one with, one without, or anything, or how many with the magnet. But he did get his magnet from the produce section weighing experiment. So awesome! That's awesome. That's so it's, great. Very way clever. to go, Wayne. Yeah, Wayne coming in uh, with that story clutch here. Literally seven o'clock tonight. We're recording at about nine thirty. Wayne, you made it. Thank you for that message. So, right. if you'd like to be included in a uh, podcast, an email, a whatever, a letter sent to us, a tweet, podcast at retrowdw.com is the email address. You can Twitter message us, Instagram, any of those places. You can get a hold of us or. Our phone number, you can leave us a voicemail, which Todd is 97871Retro. Mm-hmm. I haven't got any voicemails for a while, so no, we want to hear New something. Year's resolution. If you get this yeah. and you're traveling and you know, call right right now. Call right now and leave us a voicemail. That would be so fun. So right. thank you. 
All right, guys. Well, it's time for this month's audio rewind. I think did we, did we all get it this month? Did we all? It was pretty, yes. Yeah, oh, yes. Yes. We got it. I knew it. I knew it instantly, instantly. because it's everyone's favorite parade. Music. It is. It is. So let's take a listen to last month's audio rewind puzzle. All right, so if you guessed Spectrum Magic, you are correct. So that, yeah, that was the piano version of the Spectrum Magic theme uh, done by David Benoit. So we do have a winner. So congratulations to Brandon Fitzgerald. You'll be winning the autographed Corrine Cook Gooley photo. We'll send that out to you. And um, this month, uh, we, need a, we need a prize for this month before we get to the playing the audio rewind. Does anybody have something they want to giveaway this month i'm hold, holding it right here oh, what do we got uh for for the three of you that can see this and oh all goodness. of you listeners who can't look at this look at that this thing. is a for all you hipsters out there that have gotten your record players <laughs> here here are your 1981 issued disney's christmas all-time favorites 33 and a third lp wow look at that and it's got about 20 christmas tracks on it and some beautiful artwork on the front that i might have to scan in or tweet at some point before we ship this off to this month's winner but uh we'll uh you'll get this in the new year and you'll have to take good care of it so that you can either listen to it for christmas in july or bust it out next year after halloween that's right but, uh this here my friends is uh, is this month's prize it's in near mint condition does it have the sleeve scratches. sleeve inside too? Wait, wait, wait. The sleeve is here. The sleeve's there. And it's got the, the rainbow the Disneyland logo on it. Yeah. That's fantastic. The cover is beautiful. Yeah, yeah it is. That's a nice piece of we'll sure I'm not, I'm not much one for the character art stuff, but that's, that's really actually exceptionally well done. Yeah. 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 And Chip and Dale are really giving it their all down there at the bottom, as you can oh, see. Oh, yeah. They're, they're belting out the... Yeah. All right. So, so. that prize can be yours if you know the answer to this month's audio rewind gee it sure is dark in here there's gotta be a light around here somewhere all right if you think you know the answer to this month's audio rewind send your guesses to podcast at retro and all entries should be received by january 8th 2018 and we will select one random winner from all correct entries to receive that prize now we got something big to do here guys we have our second prize pod of the year to give away and we've got to add something to it and we've got to pick the name out of the hat and find out who wins this big prize but first jt let's roll down what roll down the list of what's included here all right first off a 1971 life magazine next up a 1971 look magazine yep. a 1986 easter egg hunt invitation next up a 1991 Magic Kingdom and MGM Studio guidebooks. We got one of each. And most recently, a retro World Showcase postcard collection. Yeah. A lot of good um, stuff in there. So we need to add a few things in to make this prize pot complete. Uh, I am going to put in the Epcot bag that we received at the at the uh, Epcot 35 with the all the different logos on it. It's a nice little tote bag. Uh, and I'm also adding in a retro WDW embroidered hat, so Whoa. which is pretty cool, really nice. It's a well, uh, it's nice. No, does that, no one has those. No, no. JT's got one. I've got I one. Got one. We, we have a couple extra hanging around here. So for new listeners, pay attention for the future. So, 
uh, we're gonna we're gonna throw those in. And um, I actually also have a prize pot item to add in for next year's prize pot already too. So um, we'll talk about that a little later. But first, we need to pick the winner. So JT, I understand that the the computer's down for maintenance. Yeah, I have a ribbon cable that's broken. I have to scuzzy port one on order. Yeah, that the ribbon cable's out, and yeah, the port. So whatever, I we got to go even older school than the computer. How are we doing have this? A, uh, it's it's. I'm trying to estimate the height here. It's about a foot and a half taller than me. So that's about seven and a half foot Ooh. spinner wheel. Um, and it's got that leather flap no, at the yeah, top yeah, hitting yeah, yeah. the pegs, and that's what it's gonna do. So you got, wrote everybody's name. I did actually in dry erase, so if I could I had to reuse <laughs> this it is, next year. This is year. like a showcase showdown. Yes, this exactly. Is, this so is awesome. and I got all the emails. I took everybody's name. I wrote them down. Okay. This is, every time, actually, you know, just this week, I did this, and uh, yeah, I'm about to spin the wheel here. So, all right. So let's give this this a big spin. And I, you can hear it going around. JT, let nice. us know when it's flown. Jeez, it's 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 got some momentum. I'll tell you what. Big buddy, big buddy, big buddy. <laughs> and oh, there we go. Who do we have? John Morado. John Morado. Congratulations. Hey, John. 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 You are the winner. Yeah, big prize pot coming to you. So we'll get that out to you shortly. So congratulations. And John answered his audio answer came in. Uh, was in July, so uh, in, oh. yeah, July, July nineteenth, he sent that in. So, congratulations, John. We'll be in touch. John, with if you. you're listening right now, call the phone number and give us a message quick right now. Hit pause. Do it. <laughs> That's right. Give us a message. Tell me what you think. So, congratulations. All right. Well, once again, if you think you know the answer to this month's audio rewind, send your guesses to podcast at retro WDW. <laughs> All right, guys, well, it's time to get into this month's main topic, which is uh, we're going to talk about some additional things at Christmas at Walt Disney World. Kind of an interesting timing as we're doing this on uh, ABC right now is the 2017 Christmas special filmed at Walt Disney World a couple weeks ago. And we're going to be talking about one of those. We're going to be kicking it off with the Christmas at Walt Disney World special from 1978. We've kind of alluded to it over the years and joked about certain portions of it. So, um... We're going to go over it in a little more detail tonight, and uh, I'm going to turn it over to Brian, who has been uh, researching this and is going to walk us through this. So, Brian, let's, uh, let's go back to 1978. The Wonderful World of Disney. This portion brought to you by Purina Pet Foods and by a world of other fine food products from Ralston Purina Company. It encompasses all of my favorite things. Pop culture from the 1970s, uh, variety television, mimes. Uh, <laughs> okay, I'm now I'm, I'm concerned that you like mimes, but okay, go, go on, go on. No, no, that that was the joke line. Oh, okay, I not, okay. I, I do not at all enjoy <laughs> mimes. No one enjoys mimes. But uh, no, this is there's so much here. So 
what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk you through the special, which is on YouTube. There are several full copies of it on YouTube, so you can go and watch. You just want to search for Christmas at Walt Disney World, but make sure you add 1978 after it. Otherwise, right. you're just going to get 50 million home videos of people at Christmas at Walt Disney World. So, uh, so here's here's the show uh, that was a special. Again, the setup here. Disney did not pay for television advertising back at the time, but they did periodically run these specials. Open this Christmas at Walt Disney World 1978 special. I'll start right here with the song My Favorite Things, sung by a choir. My first objection that I still make today when Christmas radio stations play this song. It is not a Christmas song. It has nothing to do with Christmas. Your favorite things have nothing to do with Christmas. I hate when this song is played. Don't you wrap all your friends' gifts in with brown paper <laughs> packages? Yeah, tie them and, and I tie them up with string. Yes. But the best part is that Brian just told me told us that these are all of his favorite things. See, these are, that's what why you like this special so much. So how it's, it all taught it all they knew that I was a fan of yeah, Variety like, 1978 television, exactly. no doubt. From there, the narrator begins to tell us the welcome to Christmas at Walt Disney World and runs through the list of guests' stars. Uh, the hosts for the evening, the featured act was Shields and Yarnell. That's the first names up there. So we'll tell you a little bit about Shields and Yarnell. Uh, without getting too deep into their history, they were an act that was, they were a mime act that was famous. Laureen Yarnell was uh, actually also a, a dancer and ballerina. Uh, and Shields was the, the original mime. Yep. But they made a cottage industry. Uh, so so here's the, the, the background on it is they were discovered by the producer of the Mac Davis show, who also did all kinds of variety shows. Uh, he, he had produced the Elvis 68 comeback special and a dozen other things that are very famous variety shows from the late 60s and early to mid 70s. So he discovered this act uh, and booked them on the Mac Davis show as regular featured players. Every week or two, they would come on to Mac Davis was a country singer who was very popular in the mid 70s and had his own variety show. And Shields and Yarnell would come on and Shields and Yarnell became one of the most popular things on the show. Uh, so other acts tried to book them. They would be on the Tonight Show and they would have Shields and Yarnell on. Uh, Cher wanted to book them for uh, a television show that she was producing at the time. Uh, CBS decides to give them their own show. So CBS uh, says that if people like one little vignette of Shields and Yarnell, let's put them on TV for a full hour every week and see how that goes. So they were put on and they put them up against Laverne and Shirley, which was one of the top shows on network television at the time <laughs> on ABC. And Shields and Yarnell finished dead last. And after uh, half a season run, uh, they were canceled. So this all happened in 1977. So naturally, in the fall of 1978, when Disney, who was notoriously frugal in selecting the talent that it wanted to incorporate into its specials, uh, Shields and Yarnell's available cheap. So they decide to build this special around Shields and Yarnell, and they really are in, you know, 70% of this thing, uh, except for the portions that feature the other two major acts. So mm -hmm. uh, Shields and Yarnell is that that's the basis of the start. 
of the show. One thing to one thing to add yeah. on, on yeah. Yar- Yarnell, uh, many of you may not know, but she was actually the uh, she did the body acting for Dot Matrix in uh, the 1987 Mel Brooks film Spaceballs. Joan Rivers provided the voice, but she was actually the she did the actual acting uh, of the of the character in in uh, in costume. So kind of a neat little little uh, addition there to her. So she climbed the ladder, but she did not deliver the line, quit looking up my can. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> she wore the virgin alarm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> did not. <laughs> so uh, the other guests that night, and I will let you jump in on, on these to tell us a little bit about them, but I know Todd is anxious to talk oh, yeah. about the musical group Pablo Cruz. Oh, my gosh. Not only... I, I still love their music to this day, but it, it, it has a special place in in my life because my, my i would go with my dad to his office uh, on the weekend sometimes and he, he would play the cassette over and over and over again so pablo cruz became a a, a staple of of, of uh, hanging out with my dad um i have a couple more you know anecdotes about them a little later on when we get into their musical number um but there, there was four of them they formed a they were kind of a you know, they were a rock band from from the 70s. They formed in the early 70s, and they're still touring today. Uh, you've heard us make um, a lot of references to them in the past, and, um, you know, I'd still love to get them to come to a concert uh, on the shores of Fort Wilderness, but I think it's a little out of our price range, and probably about six of you would actually come. So, um, <laughs> Maybe they're but, fans uh, of the show, and they'll do it for free. That's right. That's right. But you, you've heard their song, Rio, and, and um, What You Gonna Do?, uh, and we're going to talk a little. Love about will find a way. Love will find a way. Tip. Yeah. Love yeah. will find a way. So I'm sure you've heard them before, and uh, they're 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 a great band. So, and then we had uh, we had a little comic relief in there, right? One of the the next next actors. Yeah, Phyllis Diller uh, was the next name listed, and Phyllis Diller uh, uh, passed away a few years ago, right? Yeah. yeah. But uh, she she was a comedy legend uh, starting in the '50s, so. She was right in there in the in the prime of her, you know, it's almost like sometimes they would pick off people who would normally appear in a Bob Hope special. <laughs> uh, but a lot of these variety shows at that time are like that. The next name uh, was Andrea McArdle, which may not immediately be uh, apparent to some of you. But at the time, the biggest thing on Broadway uh, the Hamilton of its day, the Les Mis of its day, the Miss Saigon of its day, uh, Annie. And Andrea McArdle was the star. She played the role of Annie in the initial Broadway run of uh, Little Orphan Annie. And so she was as big and as hot in 1978 as you could get. And, and so of the names that appeared in this in this special, hers really was the big one at the time. The next person that we would hear from this evening is Danielle Spencer, who played uh, Raj's little sister. Uh, hold on a second. D. D. D yeah. is her name. I'm sorry. I had a momentary lapse there. Uh, D on What's Happening. So and she, she played was also D, in D this follow-up of What's Happening Now. Now. Well, <laughs> yeah. They all were. Yeah. Everybody but Mabel Thomas. <laughs> Part two. So, yeah, so they were on. And I watched What's Happening Now every week in the 80s when it was on. <laughs> so, And the last person is Avery Schreiber, uh, who was uh, as Geppetto he was billed. And Avery Schreiber, uh, for those of you who don't know who he was, he was uh, one of those 
personalities from the 60s and 70s who was a little bit of a utility man you frequently saw him on game shows or on variety shows like this or on tv commercials i mean he was an actor and a singer and uh comedian uh but he you know i think he, he did a lot of stage shows vegas things like that but the thing that he, most people remember him for is either his frequent appearances on match game as one of the celebrity panelists or Hollywood Squares. And if you're around the 70s and early 80s, he was a mainstay of Doritos commercials. He was the face of Doritos commercials the same way that Jay Leno was in the 1990s. So uh, that is where Avery Schrieber came from. And after that big title screen introduction, we begin. The Clinker's Christmas Vacation. <sighs> and this features the mime act of Shields and Yarnell checking into the Eastern Airlines desk at Orlando Airport with a giant teddy bear. <laughs> I, so they check their luggage, which is all, of course, mimey and robotic and wacky oh. robot oh yeah. yeah yeah i think that's the thing automatons to, yeah the big thing of their act at the time was doing this impression of robots because i guess robots were super popular in the 1970s good well, makeup but job the thing is, too actually right, they but, did a really good job of this it's like no, it's actually extraordinary to watch it sounds so stupid to say that today right but right. like it was highly entertaining back then yep yep and, and, and they would do make their they would do their makeup to appear like more plastic like and they they would like go to like very blank expressions it's like they really did a tremendous job like the guy's hair was always like plastic plasticine yeah. down yeah yeah, yeah. and he gets yeah, out so, I, he gets out his pipe you see you know uh, yarnell gets stuck and he takes his pipe and a screwdriver and tap 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 to get her working again as she as yes. she falls over there's also a big plug during this whole scene for eastern airlines not yes. only is it plastered on the check-in wall but they cut to an l-1011 for those of you who remember the lockheed 1011 jet um barreling through the skies as it's as it's going and, and it seems I, I don't know where this was filmed it might very well be orlando for all i know but um i was looking really, at it and trying to figure out if that yeah was I, tr I tried to figure that out as well but that, that, changed that, so much. that scene ends at, with them arriving at Orlando International Airport. The large teddy bear comes off the baggage delivery belt, and then, ha ha ha, Shields and Yarnell come out the baggage <laughs> delivery belt. <laughs> they failed I, metal you know detection. I, I bet it was the old. So I want to say that the the version of Orlando International that everybody is used to today was built in 19. It was either 85 or 86. Because I remember yeah. I was in high school at the time, and we actually got to go out and like take a tour of the airport as part of one of our classes. Um, so the old airport was kind of built on the remnants of the old McCoy Air Force Base. Right, it was basically it was a retrofitted Air Force Base. Yep. Yeah. So that probably was all Orlando, and they just put a sign up somewhere that said it was, you know, or they just supered, I think, that said that it was like LAX, and they walked in and they, like, <laughs> did the outside uh, when they came out and they were, you know, in Orlando. So, yeah. <laughs> I, yes. I bet that was all shot there. That would make the most sense. Yeah. The interesting thing about them coming out of the airport, too, is it doesn't... It, the Orlando International Airport sign looks rather fake. And I, I when the, when it cuts across, there's a Fort Wilderness bus outside. And yes. it pans over. And it looks to me... I, I don't remember automated doors in the contemporary, but part of me thinks that that's actually the contemporary with, with a fake nameplate up there. But it's 
I, there are definitely automatic doors. It's hard to see. So it's, I don't know, but it reminds well, me. Well, and that's entrance. possible because at the time, the entrance to the contemporary uh, down where the uh, the convention center is now and all, you used to be able to drive right up to looking like any other hotel. Mm. You drove up to a port cashier with sliding doors right at the front of the contemporary. You could drive your car into the loop right, and right. hop out and check in, and then they would go park your car or you could park your car. Yep. So it's entirely possible that it is that circa 1978 entrance of the contemporary. Yeah. I'd have to go back and rewatch it, kind of look for the right angle, but... But yeah, we have you, to go to that episode with uh, Michael Keaton playing the uh, yes. oh, like yeah, oh yeah, the bellhop, the bellhop, the bellhop. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's the 1981 special, right? The yeah, that's the 10th, 10, 10, the tenennial special, I think. So unfortunately, they so, missed the bus, which is. Have, did you guys see that bus? The brown, orange, and white. That thing is awesome. Yeah, man. I want to go ride that bus. Yeah, but yeah. you you mentioned Fort Wilderness because that was their destination. They almost got hit by the Fort Wilderness <laughs> Railroad, <laughs> but what? Uh, but they were checking into a treehouse, so apparently. No, hold on, Brian. You forgot to mention yeah. how. What was their mode of transportation? <laughs> they were riding on a giant, self-propelled, self-driving chest, <laughs> like chest travel of drawers. Tr- perhaps? It was <laughs> a travel was, trunk. Was, yeah, it's it was just, like a, an old-timey travel trunk. And the, the footage is all sped up, too. So it's just... It, oh, yeah. It's it's, it's very, it's, very bizarre. It's the, the level of 70s hokey kitsch yeah. does not disappoint. No. Well, if you tell they go in the campground because they roll past some campsites to shoot past, yeah. and then they're right. all of a sudden, like, you know, they're outside in the, tree the camp. And then they're they, in a yeah. treehouse. And they pull the house, stunt right. of going through a tent and their, their silhouette, including his pipes. Yeah. Yeah, the Roger Rabbit gag. Exactly. The, yeah, that was beautiful. But later that day, they're on the treehouse. They are in the treehouse, and they decide, you know, we're kind of hungry. We should do some fishing. <laughs> and so they go where anyone <laughs> would normally go to do some fishing, the 20,000 Leagues Lagoon. Is that what that is? I thought it was. I, <laughs> the water I can't think it's way too be. clear. It, it is. It is. Absolutely. Yeah. You can see yeah, the rocks, yeah. You see the rocks in the background and all. So. And that was kind of my theory on that. Is, is you can see bubbles coming up behind her. Uh, is that they reach in the water and he picks out a fish and he picks out the scuba diver. And I figured, you know, not only is it controlled environment, but they could place those things. There was that coral that went pretty high, right, Hal? So they could put some things in there and you could be able to oh, see it. Oh, pick I'm going to bet you $100 there was a scuba diver underneath that boat that was handing him that stuff. Yeah. In fact, that's why the scuba diver kind of like, so he puts his hand down and they put the fish in exactly. her hand and she pulls it out. Yeah, so it's yeah, clear. They can that. see what's going on. There's no threat of, of anything. Yeah. Well, and and also I said to Todd when we were talking about this uh, in preparation for the episode that it looks like they probably use that too because the load platform for the ride would be the perfect setup to put your cameras on Yeah. Uh, to film them uh, while they're on the water. So, uh, But I'm almost certain that that's where they are. So... They get off of the fishing trip and they decide it's a good opportunity to go to Liberty Square, where apparently in 1978 they just set up buffets <laughs> right out there along the right, right outside. That was where you, so odd. It's very odd. And everybody's yeah, so, in line so, getting so their remember mashed a buffet potatoes. on the main drag there. Yeah. Anybody? Is this the man who ruined the buffet? And if, if if you look carefully, there's a van in the background, really carefully, like parked while they're in the buffet line. So you know, there's obviously yeah. equipment brought in. So and, so and naturally, the funny thing that 
Shields and Yarnell, the hilarious mimes do, is instead of picking up the food, uh, which is your standard barbecue, you know, luncheon fare, uh, they start picking up the fixtures and things like candles and piling those on their plate instead of picking up the food, oh, yes. uh, which apparently was hilarious. And it's, it's funny because uh, they're robots. And but yes. they eat metal, they, right? <laughs> <laughs> Do they eat <laughs> candles? How? Pewter. But the, it's it's <laughs> disturbing. The food is going all over. She's putting the plate over her heart as the you know over her chest as as the, the fife and drum go by and there's potatoes flying everywhere and and uh, I I don't know. But then it makes me we do get a break. They're they're fish out of water. It's so yes. funny because yeah. Yep. <laughs> but we do get a break now, Todd. Yes. Uh, from Shields and Yarnell. They, they they look at a sign for Discovery Island and say, oh, yes, and say maybe. this would be a great place to go. Maybe something's over there. Yeah, so we arrive at Discovery Island only to find that Pablo Cruz has stationed themselves along the banks of the uh, of, of uh, Bay Lake. And uh, they just want to entertain you. And, but not just entertain the guests. They also want to entertain the live birds and parrots <laughs> right. that are on their shoulders. So let, let's set up the scene here. It opens, first of all, with pirates chasing women out of... Just out of Pirates of the Caribbean, if you'll notice. They're screaming and they're yelling and these pirates run past. It, it is now, especially in light of what's gone on oh, in the yes. last two weeks. I mean, when we so... looked at this two years ago, it looked really sketchy. Yeah. And today, looking at it, oh, you're it's... like, oh, there's no way anyone would ever do this No, again. no. It looks terrible. They are positioned right in front of Captain Flint's ship called the walrus captain flint is from treasure island and this was originally going to be treasure island um and they all have birds on their shoulders they've got parrots and cockatiels and cockatoos and all these different <laughs> the things. funny thing is the guy playing the piano there's a couple of times he gives this look yes like he's terrified oh, of like what's going on that's with the bird. that's absolutely the best part so right you've got to I'll, I'll name the members of the band here for, for don't know but you've got um that is one of the best parts. There's a cockatoo on Corey Lirio's. He's playing the keyboard on his shoulder. It jumps down onto the onto the piano, and then Bruce Day, who plays bass, puts the bird back up on Corey's shoulder. This had to be just like we're doing this once, guys, right? The bird then jumps back down, like hell no, I'm not doing this. And all the while, David Jenkins, who's their guitar player, is looking on with another bird on his shoulder. But the best part is you have to watch the background because Steve Price. He's in the background and he's bouncing on the front of the walrus with a bird on his shoulder and he wants to dance, but he's losing his balance with the bird and he grabs onto the <laughs> rope and he's trying to dance. It's just, it's just I, awesome. It, it, I have never wanted to see behind the scenes footage more in my life yeah. than of this entire filming scene because... You just know they're complaining about the bird's claws oh, digging they, into their shoulders. They and... look uncomfortable, the whole yes. thing. Now, there is a, another set of scene in this that, that really looks interesting, the boat rental scene, where they're, they're, they're cruising on the lake with very original jet skis. They've got the water sprites there's, out. There's a lot of different uh, watercraft from Bay Lake and Seven Seas Lagoon featured and, in this uh, clip. At now, one those point, are stand-up jet skis, and they're doing the knee drop on them, like yeah. just boss mode. Like It's like Barbie. But, but again, well, watch, at, watch. That time, at that time, uh, there weren't wave runners. No, like, they no, didn't, no. That they, was they, the, the thing. All of the jet skis were the stand-up stuff. Like, yep. Oh, yeah. They just look so old now in comparison. 
So a, right. a couple other notes. David Jenkins at one point is like pointing, and you swear he's pointing to the lights. Get the hell over there! He's pointing off to the right. Like <laughs> get out of my way! Right again. This must have been one take. There's an, um, a scene of them in those bumper boats. Remember the ones where you would straddle an outboard motor? It was it was like in a, a giant inner tube, and there was a seat. Yes. And yes, I burned my leg on one of those. Yeah, exactly. You got, horribly one day. And you're, you're, they're spinning around in these things, and I don't think those were ever rentals. But the other thing that is really funny is that there's this catamaran um, with four girls on it, and a water skier comes by nearly clips himself right across the bow, and I think another foot the guy would have just take, taken out the whole thing and probably really oh yeah 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 you got to check it out it's 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 pretty it's pretty funny so i like that they have to do every boat too like they all need a boat like they had to do four wide on the water sprites and four <laughs> wide on the jet skis like it's just it's yeah. hilarious that's how you show it off that's right <laughs> yeah JT, you you got a you got a question about Pablo Cruz? Yeah so at the end they they're on the discovery island by the boat what did we call it the walrus the walrus, yeah. There's a baby grand sitting there. There has yes. to be some cast member somewhere that was involved in the transportation of the baby grand <laughs> to Discovery Island. Like, you know, I mean, we met the guy who did the, the River Country slide R&D. There has to be somebody like, those guys, they wanted this piano out on the island. <laughs> you know, can you imagine the memo? You know, we need a couple shells, some treasure chests, you know, a com- couple birds out there uh, and some and lights and by the way, can you move the baby crane? Yeah. Put it next to the fog machine on the barge, buddy. We got room. That's, like that's, that's right. hilarious. Make sure the pirates are in their uh, makeup as well. Good catch. Yeah, uh, that's a. So if you know anything about uh, Baby Grand moving out to the island, let us know because th- that's not an easy drop-off point there. You need like a landing craft. <laughs> you to there has to be, I hope it didn't it. go as smoothly as it should have. You know, like there has to be a good little add-on to that story. There's got to be. There's got to be. Now, they released an album in June 1978 and, um, uh, called Worlds Away, and they, they played the title track here. So this was good timing for, for Pablo Cruz to, uh, to push, push their, their latest album. So, but uh, overall, very awkward, but not quite as awkward as the next scene. Well, there's a there is a transition before we get to the the clearly the most awkward and talked about montage or, or segment of the special. So before they get to that, there's a, a montage of uh, waving children in the parks. And I mention it because if you remember in the magic of Walt Disney World and some of the specials they did in the earlier part of the 70s, it was a thing for them to do the ice cream lick montage oh, where they would go mm, around and do yeah, like 30 yeah, or 40 yeah, uh-huh. quick shots of people licking their ice cream cones. And that's how this was shot. It's just kid after kid after kid waving to the camera. And then it cuts to the entrance to the Magic Kingdom where stroller rentals were. Or was that at the Ticket and Transportation Center, Hal? No, that was at the that was at the front at the, entrance. Yeah, because on the yeah. uh, I was on the right hand side, I believe. Yeah, right yeah. side. It's, yep. it's still there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's I, still there. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, yep. so let's let's keep that in. Uh, so then, it after the waving montage, we end up at the entrance to the Magic Kingdom where stroller rental was, where there are no parents renting strollers. Uh, Shields and Yarnell are dressed as babies. <laughs> and are attempting to commandeer their own set of strollers. Uh, commandeer. 
they play Rockabye Baby. Uh, that's the music that's playing. And there's basically a two or three minute mime act of them being babies. And so. the sucking each other's thumbs at the end is what pacifies them. <laughs> now, we should mention at this time, Shields and Yarnell were married to each other. Uh, just so you know, I don't think they engaged in this behavior at home. <laughs> uh, but but for the purposes of this uh, little montage, it is burned into our brains. Yeah. Uh, and anybody have anything to add on the babies before I move on? No, let's just keep going. <laughs> let's just keep going. It's horrible. So next we move over to the Main Street Fire Department where a jaunty tune is played. While we experience some tap dancing. And uh, not just from our dancing stars, but also with Mickey Mouse. Mickey gets into the tap dancing act. And that little vignette goes. You have something to add there, Hal? Yes, because I looked at this, and the first thing I wondered was, why aren't they putting whoever's name this is up on the screen? Or, like, why didn't they say yeah. who the person is that is doing it? And then I noticed, and I'm, I'm not a dance person. I, You know, it's not... I don't know that much about it. But as I was watching this tap routine, I noticed that she was on point a lot. It's actually yeah. a really interesting mixture of ballet and tap. And I think when I got to the end of it, it occurred to me, it's Yarnell. It is Yarnell. Yeah. Yes. So I didn't, I had never realized like that she was actually an incredibly talented dancer on top of the whole mime routine. What a, what a, an amazing all-around talent. Like, you know, she's like one of those Saturday Night Live people. Like, they could sing, they could dance, they could make jokes. She's no does yeah. it all. She was quite tall, too. You put her in that one-piece jumpsuit, and her legs are <laughs> right. way she looks long. Like she's six feet she looks like she's on stilts. So, well, Brian, we, we're now what? We're, we're like 16, 17, 18 minute mark or something right we now? Are, we, we are 17 minutes in, and someone decides... And that's assuming know, no commercials either. This probably that's ran... correct. Oh, man, yeah, you had to stick through this. This ran probably two hours. So they decided, whoever was writing this uh, episode, uh, said, maybe we should mention something about Christmas, since it's Christmas at Walt <laughs> Disney World. <laughs> I mean, we've listened to Pablo Cruz, we've seen Mime Babies and Robot... Uh, fisherman and so Avery Schreiber appears in his toy shop uh, as Geppetto reading a Christmas card from an adult Pinocchio who's not coming home for Christmas. <laughs> what? What? He's now he's now a man living in America. <laughs> Avery's Geppetto. got his really good Italian accent on. Let me just tell you. And it's so pop, pop. I will end my letter to you. I know I don't write it too good or too often, <laughs> but I will try harder the next time, sure. And one thing is for sure, I love you. It's, it's and spot on. complains to his toys that he doesn't have any friends to talk to, so he decides he's going to make one. Oh this my. is the plot of Weird Science, I think. Yeah, it is. So uh, he sings a song about his Christmas gift to himself. And at the crescendo, the end of the song, 
he turns around to show you what his Christmas gift to himself is, and it's a doll that looks exactly like him. <laughs> Today, I take some wood from an old tree. Don't you worry, Christmas tree. Today, I try to make it company. <laughs> <laughs> Why did they have to shoehorn Christmas in in this way? Like, couldn't they so just wait, put him wait, around wait, a tree? I'm not, I wish he called him dumb. Wilson. It, it, been... it, it, it gets more horrific. So they then play a clip from the film Pinocchio, and then it uh, fades back into the toy shop, and Shields portrays Pinocchio as a boy waking up and walking out of the toy store onto Main Street, USA. He mimes to Pinocchio's I Got No String song before Yarnell shows up dressed as one of the Keystone Cops that used to be on Main Street. Keystone Cop chases Pinocchio back into the toy store to wrap up that little vignette. And then, I guess because they needed to make sure we knew Christmas was here, there is some generic footage of fireworks to O Come All Ye Faithful. <laughs> Because, naturally, uh, there were fireworks when Jesus was born. I have no doubt there was a high pyrotechnic show. Uh, but it, it, again, it's another bizarre little, like, 30-second segment where you're like, it's like they just wanted to keep reminding you, oh, yeah, this is a Christmas special. Let's drop this in here. Yeah, it's and like very you said, odd. The fireworks are all blurry. It looks like they were converted from film. <laughs> it's, it's terrible. It's like stock footage, you, you know? So we now cut to the front of Cinderella Castle, where Cinderella's pumpkin coach arrives, and Danielle Spencer steps out, uh, who again is D from the TV show What's Happening, which was very popular at the time. She's going to get sassy, isn't she? She was always well, sassy. <laughs> she's not nearly as sassy. They didn't have the same writers as What's Happening, so... Uh, she makes predictably terrible banter jokes like the kind from a Bob Hope special uh, with her fairy godmother who turns out to be Phyllis Diller. All I want to know is why we couldn't come to Disney World in a bus like everyone else. <laughs> My dear, nobody takes a bus to a palace. They would if the Supreme Court told them to. <laughs> and that little segment goes on for a few seconds or a few minutes. They then move away from Phyllis Diller and Danielle Spencer. I like her shot where she like kind of awkwardly walks up to Cinderella Castle and it's just shot from behind. It's just yeah. very weird. It's yeah. weird. Unprofessional. The, like. the, the reason they move into Cinderella Castle is because we now move to a ballet number. And uh, this is Sleeping Brawn, which is danced by Laureen Yarnell and Alan Kinsey, who was another famous dancer of the time. And they tell the story of Sleeping Beauty in the castle archway. They start the dance before doing the big dance finale in the castle forecourt. And that portion is narrated by Sterling Holloway, uh, who was not credited in the beginning of the uh, of the event or of the uh, show. 
the scene that starts that out when they're in with the mosaic with the witch is really another creepy creepy scene i don't know who played the witch but <laughs> i don't get the whole witch thing. i don't it, it, it's, it's a, at all where does that come into play i, I don't understand I, I i don't know i mean it, <laughs> i mean it is cool that they filmed inside the castle archway because that was not a free i mean even on our films that's not a frequently right, seen yeah. thing it's it's not something people took pictures of because with their little point and shoot cameras back then it was hard to get a picture of something like that and in, in that weird lighting that you have in the castle archway so it was neat to see that shot there um but the nothing says christmas like a witch a gray one at that <laughs> yes so then we move to west center street where we are introduced to andrea mccardle the broadway star uh, and west center street is completely covered in snow and there is fake snope uh falling from the sky that's the snow soap that they use today and dancing characters the songs that are played are those Christmas favorites memories <laughs> from Broadway? <laughs> and then, God yet rest ye, merry gentlemen. And then she sings, Oh Holy Night, which is quite beautiful. Now, when she begins singing, Oh Holy Night, Thumper, the character, here it comes. Brings her a live baby goat to sing to. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we all know the connection with Thumper and baby goats, right? Bambi, right. <laughs> Brer Rabbit, Flower, Donald Duck, and the rest of the Fab Five join Alice from Alice in Wonderland to finish singing "Oh Holy Night." Snow White pets a live bird while this is going on. Geppetto brings out a ferret and sings Some Children See Him to him. <laughs> Some children see him lily white The baby Jesus born this night Some children see him Figured he'd bring his doll of himself. Alice, Alice, and Snow White join him, and a Alice has a ferret too, because not nothing invokes the wilderness in Christmas like a ferret. Well, she true. found him down the, the hole, you know. The group begins to sing "Joy to the World," and Pluto is now holding the baby goat. It's moved, but he doesn't hold the very. The poor legs are like spread out all over the place, you know. It's almost like the writers realized, oh, we got eight minutes left. We got to get all the Christmas in at once here. <laughs> so I have then, two observations, and I don't know if you get more here. Did you notice Pooh's mouth is moving? He's like oh, he mouthing used to do that. His, oh, yeah. And his nose used to yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. Okay. So well, this is all part of the finale, by the way. Yeah. yeah. So, and Minnie's got some serious lipstick on, by the way, if you look yes. at Minnie. It's very well, uh, very done up for the for the evening. Then Andrea McCardle does a solo performance of the song Home from The Wiz, because nothing says Christmas like The Wiz. When I think of home, I think of a place where there's love overflowing. I wish I was home. Then the group sings Silent Night, 
and Pluto is still holding the baby goat. And they're all covered in soap at this point, too. Yeah, the <laughs> snow stuff is just, like, caking on them. And then the money shot of the show comes here when Shields and Yarnell speak. The minds speak. Oh, my gosh. They speak a tribute to Christmas and Walt Disney. You know, it's no coincidence that we're bringing you our Christmas greetings from Walt Disney World. Because we grew up with the magic of Walt Disney and all the joy and fantasy that he stood for. Performing for you in Walt Disney World has not only been a pleasure, but it's been an honor and a dream come true. What Walt Disney said to us is especially true at Christmas time. When we wish upon a star, all our dreams, hopes, and wishes can come true. Then the group concludes Silent Night. And the special is over. So guys, as the end credits are rolling, there's a helicopter scene that's over Main Street, USA, and as it pulls back, it's not as smooth as drone footage these days. It's, it's rather shaky. No, they're all bad, those aerial but, um, shots. What's great is it's it's at night, and the twinkle lights or the Main Street lights go down West and East Center Street, and you can really get a an idea of how how expansive that area was years years ago. So, well, Brian, thank you for uh, putting it all together. I know all of us watched this ahead of time. Uh, um, no, 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 Todd. Thank yeah. you oh. for letting me experience. <laughs> no, this and I share it. I wanted to. I even subjected my wife through it. Amy and I sat down and. She she pointed out a couple things that I made notes of, so uh, it was it was a family family event. I'll tell you, there's more Christmas in our podcast than there is in this special so far. Because this <laughs> don't get true. a cup of cocoa and sit down and think, oh, honey, let's watch this Christmas special because right. there's not much. That's right. Well, Brian, you've got a couple other things uh, regarding Christmas that you want to go through. I do. I want to mention first that we had done our first special uh, in 2015. Uh, which we'll link to in the show notes so if you want to go back and didn't listen to or want to refresh it. The things we covered in that uh, in that special, I'm just going to run through them so you know why we're not covering them tonight. Uh, in 2015, we covered the Candlelight Processional, Christmas Parades at the Magic Kingdom, Christmas Trees in the Parks, the Country Bears Christmas Overlay, Epcot's 1982 Holidays Around the World and the original shows in Epcot, before they moved the candlelight processional there. The gingerbread houses that appear throughout the resorts, the illuminations, peace on earth tag for the holidays, the lights of winter at Epcot, the original Disney MGM studios set up and the tree that had the miniature Hollywood railroad underneath of the tree there. Uh, the earful tower and it's Santa hat. Uh, a little bit of mention of the animal kingdom there, the Osborne family spectacle of lights, the nativity at Lake Buena Vista, the Lake Buena Vista Christmas tree. Uh, so if you are interested in hearing about those things, you can go back and listen to our show from two years ago. But we did promise when we revisited uh, Christmas as a topic at the resort that we would delve into a little bit inside the resorts and the celebrations that are there. 
Uh, as most people know, most of the resorts today were built after our 25-year mark, uh, which right now stretches back to 1992 and before. So it doesn't leave us with quite as many resorts to talk about, including the ones, some of them that are most famous for their, some of their Christmas displays and decorations. Uh, but I do think we should talk about the original resorts first. And you can't really start talking about resorts at Disney World without talking about the original flagship resort, which is the Contemporary. And one of the things that we, uh, looking through pictures and talking to people who were there at the time, discovered, and I was talking to Todd a little earlier about this, the giant hollow tinsel tree, which uh, looked like uh, a green layer cake. It was, uh, it was actually displayed the very first Christmas in the Contemporary in 1971. And... Photographic evidence indicates it survived unchanged until 1990. That same 1971 original lasted 19 years. Um, and it was, I know Hal has talked about having had the opportunity to walk underneath of it. Yeah, that thing was incredible. <laughs> Yeah, so, so it, cool. It was yeah, it was it was suspended from the ceiling, so you could actually yeah. pass underneath it. So it was in, in the Grand Canyon concourse, and it really did span the length of the of the concourse, all fifteen stories, and it had a like a satellite star at the top of it, uh, and it was used in promotional photos throughout the seventies and eighties. Uh, but it really is amazing that it lasted for almost twenty years. And the actual thing that caused it to end was the construction of the convention center uh, in 1991. The convention center that they tack tacked onto the contemporary and did away with the Port Cachere and the drive-in uh, area where you could check in. Uh, there was a circular driveway there that before the convention center opened. Um in the front of the building, they redid all of the Christmas decorations for the resort and actually did several others at the same time, which we'll talk about. But uh, they ended the practice of having a large tree in the Grand Canyon concourse and moved to having a large tree at the entrance to the resort outside, uh, which it's where it still is today. They put up a large tree uh, kind of uh, squared with the entrance doors, but straight ahead. So it's more of an outdoor display. Um, and that, that tree, I mean, they've changed it a few times. There were also trees in the convention center lobby. It was a red and silver contemporary for the time looking tree, but the first year taking the tinsel tree out of the, uh, Grand Canyon concourse, they said we should put something in here. So as far as we know, it was only there for one year in 1991, but it was a large hot air balloon suspended from the ceiling uh, that looked like it was floating over the Grand Canyon concourse. And on the outside of it in that, I, I don't want to say Mary Blair style because it, it doesn't really look like Mary Blair. We'll, we'll, we'll put a picture of it with the show notes. But what it really looked like is if you ever saw the original Phoenix Coyotes uniform and how they had this like block um, desert art that they used to. It's that sort of Navajo style rug art that we right, talked about. Right. And so they put 
it's a tree on the side of it. It's supposed to be a Christmas tree and a few other figures. But this giant balloon uh, was conceptualized and they actually hung it one year. Now, there is no evidence that it ever hang or hung rather in subsequent years. Uh, I've only found one picture of it hanging in the Grand Canyon concourse. So if our listeners out there have other pictures or other years, please let us know. But my guess as to why it did not last, uh, A, it doesn't look particularly Christmassy. Uh, and B, it was very large. And when you see the photo of it in there, the people who were on the upper floors of the Grand Canyon Concourse, if you've been in there, you know those walls start to come in as you each 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 floor comes in a little mm. further. Uh, well, the balloon gets wider at the t- at the top than it is below. <laughs> and just looking at the picture, the view for some of those people walking out that they paid top dollar for <laughs> to be able to look down into Grand Canyon Concourse <laughs> and about half of it, all they could see was the backside or the side of the balloon. So I am assuming that was part of why it wasn't put up there. I'm guessing it wasn't particularly popular because it wasn't particularly Christmas in any way. And I'm also guessing that it was a pain in the butt to actually get up there, keep up there. Uh, And when they took it down, it was one of those things that just said, let's not do this again. Uh, So, you know, a few years later, the Mickey, the giant Mickey shaped wreath that used to hang uh, at the theme park end of the Grand Canyon concourse uh, got hung. And that, was a mainstay until I think last year was the first year they didn't hang it. So that kind of became the Christmas icon of the Grand Canyon Concourse. And then, of course, in recent years, uh, you've gotten the the tree made completely of gingerbread that that has, within the last seven or eight years, has become a thing. And I told the story on our last podcast about Christmas, but I'll mention it again, that the first year that they put the gingerbread tree in the grand canyon concourse the vibrations of the monorail moving through used to make all the shingles fall off of it That's awesome. and so they've they've begun to design it more for putting up with the vibrations and rotations of all of that so that is the oh one more thing about the contemporary uh for the longest time until about five years ago the lights the white lights that are outside uh each pillar at every floor on the exterior of the grand of the contemporary hotel. Um, you've probably never given it much thought until you look at it, but at Christmas time every year, the maintenance crew used to go around and alternating switch every white light there to alternating red and green, the entire exterior of the resort. <laughs> and so for about two months, it was lit up red and green instead of white. That's fine. And how is not, how is nodding approvingly? Yeah. I always liked that. That was cool. So I think that ended when they converted all of the lights to uh, low-power LED lights, and they just have not gotten around to deciding that that's something worth investing in. The last thing I'm going to mention from the Contemporary is from 1992 to 1998 there, not long after they opened the Convention Center, they used uh, the Convention Center to offer the Jolly Holidays Dinner Show. And the Jolly Holidays Dinner Show was a Broadway-style, you know, Vegas dinner-type show where uh, there were 
actors and actresses uh, that would come out. There was an ice skating floor at times where they would come out and actually skate on a little ice skating floor. Uh, Mickey, Minnie, the Fab Five, all there coming out and would do different Christmas routines and Christmas songs. All of this was going on while you were seated at a tables of eight or ten. I don't remember what it was, but you were assigned a table. So if there were four of you, you'd be sitting with six strangers uh, at these round tables, just like you were going to a wedding and you were assigned to a table and they would put this hour long show on. There are a couple videos of it on YouTube and I actually saw it the last year that they ran it. I saw it in December of 98. So uh, that was one last thing they used to do with the contemporary. That was one of the only places I think where you could actually see Mary Poppins in any capacity for a long time. Oh, right. Yeah. Cause she wasn't in the parks back then, you know, um, the other original resort, and I may need how here because there isn't a lot about what they did for Christmas at the Polynesian beyond there was always a tree on the second floor, a, a fairly small tree right when you came in from the monorail platform and then a larger tree on the ground floor uh, at the back end of the of the great ceremonial house lobby, uh, which continues to this day. The other thing that they used to do at that resort uh, was in the waterfall and the, the tropical waterfall in the center. They used to add red and white poinsettias throughout the, the tropical plants in there during the holidays. And obviously the music would change to like Hawaiian holiday music, Polynesian holiday music. Uh, but it's a tough resort to really go overboard with Christmas themes. Doesn't make a lot of sense to hang garland and stuff all over the place. Well, they, well, they, they and... do. It's interesting. They don't do pines. What they do is they have garlands that they've used there at least back in the 80s and, and 70s and really up until the redo of the Great Ceremonial House. The garlands were always uh, filled with orchids. So the, there was green, but then there would be like orange uh, orchids and things like that. It was a very muted tone. So you got a holiday feel. But it was not the traditional red, white, and green. Yeah, even today, I want to say, uh, last year, we went over to the Polynesian around Christmas time. And uh, they had some really neat, uh, like you said, it's it's, this tro- it's definitely it's, a tropical bend yeah, on Orchids Christmas. and tropical flowers. Yeah, it's, and it's really well done uh, for, like you said, it's, it's hard to shoehorn traditional Christmas into there. Right. While it doesn't really, only a few years qualifies for our 25-year look back, uh, obviously the easiest place to go overboard on Christmas is the Victorian-themed new flagship resort for Disney, which is the other monorail resort, the Grand Floridian. And uh, I mentioned the Grand Floridian for a few reasons. The big gingerbread house that is famous now, they only started doing that in 1998. So... You know, you're coming up on, what, 20 years next year that they've been doing that, uh, where it's a gingerbread house that inside people can, you know, buy various holiday treats at vastly inflated prices. Um, But my reason for raising the Grand Floridian is two things. Uh, The resort was heavily stuck to its Victorian theme when it first opened. Uh, It's a little less so now. Now they just kind of go for, you know, more, I I don't know, ultra classy sometimes. I think they go for without really worrying about it being period appropriate for the resort. 
in the early years, the first few years that they did it, they would have these trees and displays set up around the larger tree in the in the in the main lobby there uh, with these creepy Victorian minstrel mannequins um, because nothing says Christmas like minstrels. <laughs> and, minstrels, and, uh, mimes, and mannequins. Oh, my. Yeah, we'll have to include... I, I tweeted out pictures of it a few days ago and got exactly the reaction I expected, which was shock, awe, horror... Uh, I never saw those. When I saw those pictures that you posted, I was my jaw just dropped. Right. I mean, mannequins are creepy to begin with, but when you put them in like these Victorian medieval like unitards and they're holding their their mandolins and with these like court jester hats and creepy faces and, and there like, was all, one on a horse too, yeah, right? There's one on a horse. I mean, it's it's just not very fun. But at the center of all this was probably my favorite Christmas tree ever in the history of Walt Disney World. And that is same time, 1991, they introduced this to the Grand Floridian and it lasted through most of the 90s. It was a tree made up entirely of poinsettias. And when I say a tree, it was, you know, I don't remember how big that that uh, concourse is there uh, in the, at the main lobby there in the Grand Floridian. But if it's, I mean, it was 50 feet high. And it was alternating spires of red, white, <clears throat> and pink poinsettias. And uh, every time I tweet the picture, I get one of two reactions. People either say, oh, my God, that's so beautiful. They should bring it back. And there's a small minority that says, I always hated that tree. Um, but I loved it. I wish they would bring it back. It probably harkens back to when my local mall, the Plymouth Meeting Mall, back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, had a poinsettia tree outside Strawbridge and Clothier every year. Uh, they don't do it anymore, but for 30 years, that was what I used to see every year at Christmas. And, but this one is truly stunning. And then when that was done, they replaced it with one that had Victorian toys on it. And they have since replaced that one with one that's a little more muted uh, that's there now. So that is the, uh, the two things I will mention about the poinsettia tree. Uh, and the creepy mannequins at the Grand Floridian. The only other thing I'm going to mention from Christmas's past is, and this is not my information, I'm going to credit Lou Mangello with this. Lou Mangello mentioned that when they first opened the Empress Lily in Lake Buena Vista Village, Disney offered Breakfast with Santa the first year there that it was opened in 1977. And according to Lou, that was the first character meal offered anywhere on Disney property was a breakfast with Santa, not with Disney characters. If they offered pie, the Bowers family would have been there. <laughs> I don't know. His dad didn't spring for meals. No, no there's no. We wouldn't have gone. We 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 walked on board the Empress Holy like <laughs> twice and looked around, but there's no way we were. I don't have tickets there. for this, kids. Get out. Get off. That's right. We're not get, sailing. Get your goldfish crackers and eat them up on deck. So I think one other thing to to talk about here, Brian and, and guys, uh, before we close out, is uh, we do have a film that we've been holding on to for a little while. Um, our friends Art and Linda are back, and we're going to release this uh, around the same time that we release this episode. Um, we've got a couple minutes of The Glory and Pageantry of Christmas from 1968, uh, filmed at Lake Buena Vista, uh, down at the shopping village. Um, 
you know, I think I find I put this in the category of something very rare uh, because the the it was a very dim setting with on stage, um, and uh, we're really did a lot of work to try to bring out some of the detail and, the, and, and improve the brightness of the film. Um, so it, it's a little dark, but you can certainly make out, um, you know, Mary and, and everything that's going on in, in the scene and see some of the animals. Uh, what's really interesting is that, that art and, and thank you to art wherever you are is that, um, it also has sound. So, uh, it's a very rare look at something that, nice, uh, yeah, very rare that, uh, we got to look at that from back in 19, uh, 1976 so look for art and linda look for their return with the glory and pageantry of christmas from 1976 all right well let's close out that portion of the main topic we'll go over some of the merchandise and we've got some a little story to close us out before we uh close out 2017 here so um uh as always we talk a little bit about the uh, different items that we offer to help support us and uh first of all thank you to everybody who has supported us over the past year as well as uh ongoing we've got a lot of sales going on keep your eyes on our twitter account because there's some 25 percent off and 20 percent off sales coming up between now uh and the holiday season um yeah there's will have sales on the shirts i believe the first and second week of december mm-hmm. and if you want to get any orders in for christmas presents i want to say the last day that you can order without doing like super rush stuff is uh i think the 14th yeah that sounds about so, right so, so just keep that in mind yeah. if you're if you're considering buying any of our shirts for anyone. Yep. Which they make they make great Christmas and Hanukkah gifts. That's right. Stocking stuffers, stickers, all sorts of good stuff. Uh so last month how you you, you did a design for Dreamflight, you did the Jet Age. Uh do we have something for this month? We're adding anything for the holiday? Maybe a tinsel tree on a green shirt? We you know what? I'm I'm gonna have to do something. I we, you know We also uh, have to reissue the Epcot ball. Uh, oh yes, the Epcot oh, yeah. ornament ball because that's oh, is that not out? Okay. That's not yeah. presently listed for sale. So I right. will I will get right on that. So uh, all right, well, how when you have that ready, send that over. So it'll be yeah, keep your eyes peeled. We'll definitely we'll do we'll have something. I know I had a I had a variety of ideas last couple of years and I just didn't get around to them. So okay, I'll uh, go back into the the files and and make something happen. There we go. So for everybody, uh, if you, if you want to help support us, really appreciate it. You can go to retrowdw.com forward slash support us, and that will take you directly uh, to our online shop where you can get the T-shirts, stickers, phone cases, notepads. I know JT's a big fan of, of the notepads. He's got a <laughs> handful of them. Um, yes. But yeah, check them out there. And uh, all the proceeds go to help to keep this on the air, allow us to buy films, restore them. And, and keep bringing these shows and, and the website to you. So we thank you for everybody uh, for your continued support. Um, before we close out the episode, do we have any idea where we're going in January yet? Do we have an idea? Do we want to give any any hints? Well, uh, you know, I started us off by saying Mele Kalikimaka. Ah. And I, I think that we'll continue to make that appropriate because I, I would like to go to, I think, what is perhaps my favorite resort, the Polynesian and spend a, a little bit of time there we where, go. Uh, where the modern age meets the south seas all right well how i know you'll be you're already preparing or you're probably 100 percent prepared already we could continue on tonight and record the record january's episode but we will take you back to the south seas in 2018 so but as we close out we always kind of have a little personal story and um when we did our last Christmas episode, Brian, you had you talked about a family gift uh, that was the gift of going to Walt Disney World. 
And um, I had a similar experience. And after my mom passed away, I started going through all of her papers and, and, and mementos and everything and, and came across um, some Christmas cards, actually, from my grandfather. And I'm going to read them here. Just to, This is how he presented a gift to us. Now, what's really neat about these cards is that, obviously, if you didn't know my grandfather and you looked at this, you would just say, oh, you know, somebody wrote a card. I inspected them really closely, and his penmanship is, is interesting. And, and the reason is that my grandfather never completed high school, never went to college. He was a machinist after that, um, fought in World War II. And, um, you know, writing wasn't, wasn't something that he did often. And when he did, he had to really sit down and, and concentrate on it. It was a mix of uppercase and lowercase letters. And in order to get everything straight, he sat there with a ruler and actually drew very small, faint lines and then wrote what he wanted to say in pencil and then went back over it with a red pen and when he was all completed he went back and erased everything and there's still faint traces of of the lines uh on the character on the letters and, and everything so he, there's actually three cards because this was like a progressive gift here i guess you could say <laughs> uh so he says this is this is the first one and i i don't recall exactly how he had this set up i think one was in a little tree or something so it says uh this christmas gift is for the mccartney family it cannot be returned exchanged or sent back for any reason whatsoever please accept it with all of our love and thanks for the help and support you give us so to find out what it is please open the christmas gift now very carefully and remove it the envelope marked mccartney family will explain um, the second card says, we are taking you all to Disney World for seven nights and eight days on a date that you select between the end of June and the end of August. Uh, we've been dreaming of this since the last time we all went. We've looked at our tape many times, it's videotape for, for those young ones out there, and thought about it when we could all return again. So please don't fight us on this as we're looking forward to it so much. So, and I love this line. So all we need now is a date as we have already started making air and hotel reservations. I don't know how you were doing that without the date, Grandpa, but <laughs> appreciate it. With all our love, Grandma, and I love this too, dash mom, and then Grandpa, dash dad, left paren, pop, right paren. So he covered all bases, nice. <laughs> making sure that all names uh, were taken care of. Um, and the third card, I it's a New Year's card, and he said, Reservations for 8, Broadway at the Top Show, McCartney, dash Hadley Family, 6 o'clock, uh, these are neat little cards that I came across, and you know, as I've mentioned in the past many times before, uh, that uh, without my grandparents' interest in Walt Disney World, um, we probably wouldn't be really sitting here and talking about this today, because they really are uh, lit the spark in me to to go down there uh, and, and and really start learning about Disney World. So, special thanks to them as always. We we miss you and thank you very much. So with that, guys, I think it's time to wrap up this episode. Uh, I would like to thank all of our listeners for the past couple of years here and continuing on here and into 2018. Appreciate your support and uh, your continued emails. Keep sending them in. And uh, with that, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Holidays, and we'll see you next year. Brian, take us out. Follow Todd McCartney and Retro WDW on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Retro WDW. For all things Retro Disney World, including exclusive merchandise, visit us on the web at RetroWDW.com. On Twitter, follow our web designer, Jason Bartell of Deepwater Studios, at JasonDWS. 
our announcer Andre Gardner, at Andre Gardner. And follow our hosts, Hal Bowers, on Twitter and Instagram, at GoAwayGreen, and on the web at KingdomOfMemories.com. For JT Couser on Twitter, at LS1JT, on YouTube at Rubber City Motoring, and on the web at RubberCityMotoring.com. And you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at Brian P. Miles. And it's All over again Now let's see I want a new Rickenbacker Ho ho ho